1 Samuel 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went, lay down. And the Lord got called again, Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. You can have a seat. Is it uh, good news that God punishes sinners? Reflect on that message. The, the Bible teaches that uh, God does indeed uh, punish sinners. That the wrath of God is leveled toward uh, those who uh, have opposed him and who have rebelled against him and who have sinned against him. Um, and the question is, is that, is that that thought of that or that notion of that is, is, is that good news to you? You know, this morning uh, we're going to address a couple of, uh, of difficult issues. Uh, one is um, religious leaders gone bad. Uh, many of you, uh, or, or at least some of you, I'm going to guess, have been a part of churches who have had church experiences where uh, people in positions of, of spiritual authority, spiritual uh, of places uh, of authority that have abused that authority. And so some of the hurt that comes from being a part of, of churches like that, where we're going to touch on that, we're also going to touch on fatherhood. And, and we also recognize that um, a, a lot of the things that cause us a, a great deal of pain is our relationship with, with our fathers. And so, you know, the question is this morning is, is for those of you who have, who have experienced hurt, who have experienced pain, who have suffered abuse either from a father or from a, a spiritual uh, leader, the idea that, that God has seen what you've been through, 
that he's heard, that he knows, and not only that, but he will act to bring justice to that situation, to you, that, that would be good news. So uh, to Hannah, uh, this was good news. Uh, last week, we began to dive into the book of 1 Samuel, and we looked at the birth of, of Samuel. And Samuel was born to uh, a, a woman who was not able to conceive. But she goes to God, and she pours out her heart to God, and she promises God that, that if he will give her a son, then she will in turn give that son back to God. And God delivers, and Samuel is born, and she is true to her word. Uh, she takes uh, Samuel up uh, when he's old enough to Shiloh, where the temple is, and she, she hands him off to Eli, the, the, the priest and judge at the time, to be brought up in the presence of God, living in the temple. She's true to her word. But in the, in the first part of chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, she says this prayer. It's a very poetic prayer. And in this prayer, she acknowledges the sovereignty of God in two ways. That one, God addresses the proud, the arrogant, the, the brash sin of, of rebellion and pride. God addresses that and brings that down, crushes that. On the other hand, God also recognizes the poor and the powerless and the broken and the needy and the humble, and God elevates them. One of the lines from that prayer it's found in verse 4. It says, The bow of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Bind on strength. And it's like strapping on strength like armor. The bow of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. You know, we see this, this idea throughout Scripture that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And this theme is, is actually the theme of, of all of First and Second Samuel. Uh, we talked about this in, in the last couple of weeks, that the major story this whole storyline is the bloody death of the first king of Israel, Saul. At the end of 1 Samuel, he's there, he's dead, he's, he, he's been killed in this very, very bloody way. And then at the beginning of 2 Samuel, David, his successor, is lamenting him, and, and he's saying, oh, how the mighty have fallen. 1 Samuel is, is a story about how this, this proud man, elevated to this, this position of power and authority over his people, was brought down to nothing because of because of his pride and because of his rebellion against God. So God, God crushes him and yet at the same time elevates this poor shepherd boy, this, this little guy named David, to the highest position in the land. And they didn't know him. You know, we, 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 we might have this notion that the idea of Christian leaders, people in positions of power and authority in the church and they're falling in, in, in sin and their abuse of power, but we think that that's a new idea. This is 3,000 years old. Here are and Finhaus, worthless men. And they have these positions. They're, they're hereditary positions. They're, they're the descendants of, of Aaron, the high priest, and they're part of the Levitical tribe. And, and this is sort of their job, to serve God in the temple. But again, they're worthless men, they, and they don't know God. Their, their role really was to, to accept the offerings of people who come to them with animal sacrifices, and they come to atone for their sin. Uh, they come to thank God for God's provision. They come with an animal sacrifice. And they take this animal sacrifice, and they're supposed to, to offer it to God on his altar. Now, uh, the, the Levitical law made provision for the priests that how they lived was they would get a portion of, of that offering. They would get a portion of that meat. That's how they, they, they subsisted their living. That's how they supported their families. Okay? But Hophni and Phinehas, they're, they're taking the portion that belongs to God and they're keeping it for themselves. 
More than that, there's, there's like this, when we read uh, the second part of verse 21, it says, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Well, the, the camera sort of pans back over to Eli and his sons in verses 22 through 25, and, uh, and we see that Eli confronts his sons in their sin. And what we find out here is that in addition to uh, stealing from the people and stealing from God, in addition to that, he's also uh, committing uh, some sexual sins. Uh, they are having sex with the women who are serving at the entrance to the temple. They're turning the temple into a brothel. This is like the, the pastor who's having an extramarital affair with the church secretary. And this is what's going on. But it's not going on behind closed doors. They're not hiding this fact. They're, they're living in this, this, this prideful, arrogant, uh, just boisterous sin everywhere. And, and they don't care who sees it. And, and, and it's, it's just blatant. And they think that, that, that they're untouchable. And so... Uh, Eli confronts them. Uh, it says in verse 25 that they don't listen to his confrontation. They don't, they don't turn away from what they're, they're going to do because God um, has chosen that he's going to put them. Eli and his sons have done and what the punishment, what the judgment is going to be, not just on uh, Eli's household, but also on Hophni and Phinehas themselves individually. Uh, verse 29 says this, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest part of every offering of my people Israel? What's interesting is that when Eli dies, one of the things that we see about him is that he was, he was overweight. That he actually really did fatten himself on the offerings of the people alongside his sons. So he's culpable in all of this. But there's a couple other things that I wanted you to notice about this. Is this, this prophet points out that you, Eli, you're honoring your sons more than you're honoring me. You know, there's uh, this word, uh, fear of the Lord, throughout the Bible. And what we learn is that in the worship of God, fear is, is actually a worship word. When you fear something, you're giving it weight. You are, you are giving it uh, control. You are attributing it to it uh, power over you. We oftentimes uh, fear man. We fear people. And when we do that, we're actually glorifying people rather than glorifying you. Both of shall die on the same day. God is going to act in judgment upon Hophni and Phinehas and cut their lives short. I want to talk for a minute to you fathers. Uh, this message from this prophet was a warning to Elon. Now, he could not stop his son or change his son's hearts, but he could remove them from being priests. And he still didn't do it. Uh, this prophet was sent to warn him, to give him an opportunity to change, to, to reverse course, and he doesn't do it. I want you to hear in, in this that, that God this morning for some of us as fathers is giving us a warning. And the first thing that we need to see is that our, we are responsible to God. God sends this prophet to Eli, not to Hophni and Phinehas. He sends him to Eli to point out that he hasn't taken responsibility for his family, but God will hold him responsible. I have to say that as a father, uh, being Going back to the prophet, in verse 35, one of the last things that the 
the prophet says, he says, And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And you kind of have to wonder there, is the, is the camera, is, is that camera lens, is it pointing back on Samuel? Or is it pointing to someone even bigger than Samuel? So in, uh, that's the, the end of chapter 2, the beginning of, of chapter uh, 3, the, the storylines, the two different storylines sort of merge into one, and we see the calling of, of Samuel. And the first thing that we notice is uh, in, in verse 1, it says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Elam. And, and that is uh, a reflection of what was said in chapter 2, verse 11, only there's one significant difference. Uh, in chapter 2, 11, it said, The boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. In chapter 3, he's no longer called the priest. God is making a change. God is making a switch. That the, the, the house of Eli is being rejected, and Samuel is, is coming to, to the foreground as, uh, as God's new prophet. The other thing that we notice uh, at the beginning of chapter 3, it says, And the word of the Lord, waiting news for a little boy to have to listen to regarding what's going to happen to the man who's been raising you. So he hears what God has to say. Uh, verses 13 and 14, he says, And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he made, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. To sin against an eternal God carries with it eternal consequences that they will bear. What a weighty message for a small boy to hear. And so there he is, he's waiting for sunrise. Uh, no doubt he didn't go back to sleep, and then when morning comes, he opens the door, and Eli is ready to talk. Eli wants to know what God said. And Samuel tells him. Samuel lays it out. And Eli says, okay. He says, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. You know, as he's speaking to Samuel, and it actually says in the text that he stood before Samuel, he's seeing a vision of God. He's hearing and he's seeing God. And through Samuel, God's making his presence known again to the people of Israel. He's communicating again with the people of Israel. This is a very, very dark period of time, the time of the judges. And yet they're seeing a light on the horizon. They're seeing the sun dawn again. This is a time of hope. God is doing something in all of this. He hasn't abandoned them. He sees them. He hears them. He knows them. And in his sovereignty, he's acting towards them. And he's breaking the bow of the mighty, but he's lifting up the, the humble. And, he's, and the feeble are binding on strength. See that, that God is at work. And this is, this is hopeful. And the reality is we, we a lot of us, are recognizing that, that our culture and our time, man, it smacks a lot like the judges. It smacks a lot like everybody doing what is right in their own eyes. And we can look at our culture, we can look at the time we're living in, and we can lose hope. We need to understand that God is still at work, and God is still doing things, and God still sees, and God still knows. I love how uh, Hebrews opens. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed father, his stepfather, foster father, whatever that is. Do you know that God has seen them? God knows about that. And God will judge that and judge that man 
perfect. You can know that God is just and that will fulfill him. There's hope. That's the good news. You see, I asked the question at the beginning. Uh, is it good news that God punishes sinners? If you've been sinned against it, that's good news, right? It, 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 it's good news to know it, that, that the sin that's been, that's been leveled against you, it's good to know that God will punish that, right? What happens, though, if you're in a sinner? That's the bad news. That's the bad news. Here's the reality is that we are sinners, all of us have rejected God on some level. All of us have walked away. All of us have been proud, uh, prideful and, and rebellious and, and blatantly sinning against God. All of us are sinners. All of us deserve the wrath of God leveled towards us. And this is bad news. And there he was in the garden. And, and a servant was talking to his wife and he did nothing. She was being deceived right in front of him and he didn't. He didn't do a thing about it. He didn't stop it. From Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to David, even Samuel. Look at Samuel. Check this out. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of the firstborn son was Joel, the name of the second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Even Samuel failed as a father. Dads, we look at redemptive history and we see great people like David and Samuel and they're totally blowing at his dad. What hope do we have? What hope do we have? You ready for some good news? It's within the text. 1 Samuel 2.26. It says, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. It's the same words that Luke uses of Jesus mediate for us. And we've sinned against our families and our children as fathers. And who would mediate for us? Who would mediate for us? First Timothy 2, 5 and 6, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. We have a mediator. We have a great high priest. Jesus came along and he's a better Samuel. And he comes, and not only does he not take from us like Eli and Phinehas, he doesn't take from us, instead he gives to us. He comes and he lays down his life for us. He comes and he takes our flesh and he lives that life that we couldn't live in order to be the perfect mediator for us. And he takes that life and he offers it as a sacrifice on the cross and he pours out his blood. He gives for us. And in that exchange, our sin is taken away. You're not a sinner in Jesus Christ. You're not a lousy, failing father in Jesus Christ. You're forgiven and you're redeemed and you're enrolled in his righteousness. Because he's the better high priest. Do you see the hope that exists for us because of Jesus? I recognize. And he willingly lays down that life. And he mediates between us and God, and he makes peace between us and God. It's okay to believe in a God of wrath when you have a Savior Jesus who stands between you and me. We need a God of justice. And we desperately need his mercy too. 
do you see the hope that lies in him? Do you see the difference that that makes in your life? And none of us can live with pride or arrogance when we understand Jesus. The boldness and the brashness and the arrogance if we have Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how good you are. I praise you for being just. I praise you for the fact that you will not let the sinner go unpunished. I praise you for the fact that you defend the weak. That you see the widow and the orphan. I praise you for the fact that you lift up the broken and the needy and the feeble. I praise you for the fact that you bring down the proud. Father, I praise you for the fact that 